Jai Guru and Pranam. I'm happy to see you all here and a very happy good morning to all of you. We will start this talk with a prayer. We'll close our eyes for a few moments. Om Sahana Bhavatu Sahana Bhunaktu Sahaviryam Karavavahai Tejasvi Nabadhita Mastu Ma Vidvishavahai Om Shanti 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 May God protect us all. May he allow us to enjoy together, to exert together. May our discussions be sincere and faithful. May there not be any discord amongst us. May there be peace. Om, Amen. Thank you for joining this Sunday morning spiritual discourse on a summer day. My name is Amit Chatterjee and I'm speaking to you from Seattle, Washington. I have been practicing Kriya Yoga for close to 20 years now. And during this time, some of my closest friends have also taken to Kriya Yoga or they have some other practice. But majority of my friends and my extended family they do not have much interest in spirituality. The idea of seeking God or the concept of God itself appears strange to many. In fact, a friend of mine recently shared a quote which perfectly sums up this sentiment. It goes something like this. Man and God finally met and both of them exclaimed, hello, my creator. Indeed, if spirituality is defined as a search for God or about attaining heaven after life, then it does get confusing. In reality though, a spiritual seeker is also looking for lasting happiness and avoidance of misery like everyone else in the world. And the path of yoga says that true happiness is actually obscured by our own restless mind. And unless we know how to harness the mind, we will not find that happiness. So it's really all in the mind. And today's topic is the restless mind. And I hope that all of you, whether you are on a spiritual path looking for success there, or looking for success in the material world will find this material useful. Once a soldier in uniform with a sword in hand approached a holy man, a monk, and said, sir, please enlighten me. What is hell and what is heaven? The holy man looked at the soldier and stayed silent thinking that maybe the monk had not heard him, the soldier repeated, can you please tell me what is hell and what is heaven? 
the holy man now looked intently into the eyes of the soldier and said, you're acting like a brave soldier, but I don't think you are one. You even have a sword, but I think it's a fake one. Are you really a soldier or are you just an actor? The soldier felt his face begin to flush and anger rising in him. This man was insulting his profession, his dignity, and even his weapon. But this did not seem to deter the holy man who went on to say, it seems like you're getting angry. Do you think you can kill me? I don't think so. You look like a coward to me. Now the holy man's face was completely red with anger and his heart was pounding. There's nothing more he wanted than to grab the man and give him a blow. My child, said the holy man in a soothing voice. You asked me what hell is. It is what you're experiencing now. The soldier was taken aback. The anger vanished. And with a humble heart, he apologized profusely to the holy man for getting angry at him. Now, the holy man said playfully, you know what heaven is. Isn't this what is happening to us every day? especially in this modern age, in the world of sharply divided opinions and social media. Every day we are instigated, we are provoked, we lose our cool, we become unhappy. It really is all in the mind. When the mind gets agitated, provoked, and becomes restless, it overwhelms us, overpowers us. Once Mala Nasruddin, the legendary mystic of the Middle Ages, was riding along town on his donkey as he usually did. When the donkey took fright at something in its path and started to bolt. As Mullah raced down the countryside, some countrymen shouted at him, oh Mullah, where are you heading so fast? Nasruddin looked back at them as he sped past them and said, don't ask me, ask my donkey. It really is how we feel when our mind overwhelms and overpowers us. But unfortunately, in our secular education system today, in all the years we have studied to become successful in this world, nobody has taught us how to control the mind. So in today's talk, I will focus on this aspect. I'll share my screen here for a moment. As I was saying, nobody has really taught us how to take care of our mind. Once Swami Vivekananda, arguably the greatest sage of modern times, he remarked that if I were to be born again, first, I would try to take care of my mind and then everything will be taken care of. Also Dalai Lama, and we are all familiar with him, he once said that if all kids are taught to meditate by the age of six, we will end all wars in this world in one generation. Unfortunately, nobody has taught us the techniques to control the mind. And 
And for most of us, at some point or the other, the realization does come that the mind indeed is the one which is coming in the way of our happiness. And this predicament that the mind stops us more than anything else has bothered humankind over the ages, over generations. In fact, even thousands of years ago in the battle of Kurukshetra, Arjuna had the same predicament in his mind. In the middle of the battlefield, unable to control his mind, he asked Lord Krishna, he told him, Chanchalam hi manah Krishna pramathi balavad driram tasaham nigraham manne vayur eva shudushkaram. The mind is very restless, turbulent, strong, and obstinate. O oh Krishna, it appears to me that it is more difficult to control than the wind. Look at the description Arjuna is using for the mind. Very restless, turbulent, strong, obstinate. And Arjuna, by the way, as you know, he wasn't looking for God at that point. He was just trying to win a battle at hand. But he was unable to concentrate on the task. And it felt like, felt to him, him that controlling the mind was akin to controlling the wind. Lord Krishna smiled and looked at him. And in verse 35 of chapter 6, he says, Asamsayam Mahabaho Manah Dush Nigraham Chalam Abhyasenatu Konteya Vairagyana Chagrihyate. Lord Krishna said, O mighty armed son of Kunti, what you say is correct. The mind is indeed very difficult to restrain, but by practice and detachment, it can be controlled. Lord Krishna agrees that the mind indeed is difficult to control, but he assures Arjuna that there is still a way. And then he says, the way is practice and detachment, just two words. What do they mean? We will explore those two we will explore Lord Krishna's guidance in how to control a restless mind today. What practice and what detachment is what, what, what he was referring to. But before we get to that, we will talk about a few more concepts about the mind. Our minds are actually part of nature and everything in nature we know is influenced by triple qualities, the qualities of tamas, rajas, and sattva. Tamas simply is the principles of dullness, inertia, darkness, and confusion. Rajas is restlessness, agitation, ambition, and passion. And sattva, peace, harmony, and principles of clarity and brightness. We have seen nature, sometimes it's dull, sometimes it's vibrant, and at other times it is peaceful. This is an example of the, the play of the three qualities of nature. And the three qualities influence our mind also, just like that. Sometimes our minds are dull, Sometimes they're active and restless, and maybe sometimes they're peaceful too. 
In fact, the sages thousands of years ago who studied the mind minutely and researched it found that the qualities of nature in different proportions actually give rise to five different states of the mind. The rishis found out that mind, the full potential of the mind is in one of five states. And these states, they came up with these Sanskrit names and I'll translate them to English. The first one they said is mudha, which really means a dull mind. The next is shipta, restless mind. Vikshipta, active mind. Ekagra, one-pointed mind. And niruddha, for lack of a better term, yogic mind. So the rishis said that the mind is in one of these five states. So we'll briefly take a look at what these states usually are. Let's start with mudha. And this mudha state of the mind occurs when the tamasic qualities of inertia and dullness overpowers the other two gunas, rajas and sattva. So tamas overpowers. And in this state, we are sleepy or we feel lazy. We spend our time in idle gossip. We are infatuated, fearful, or confused. Interestingly, sometimes we might also feel a bit of contentment, but that really is not because of proper understanding. For example, being lazy, we may feel that we don't want to cook today. And we justify that by saying, I'm not really hungry, so it's okay to not cook. In this state of the murha mind, desire, greed, anger remain hidden in the mind. This probably is the lowest state from the perspective of an yogi. The next state is called shipta mind. And in this state, rajas, the principles of passion, desire, restlessness overpowers the mind. The word shipta comes from the Sanskrit word shepana, which means to throw. Literally in this state, the mind throws us in different direction. You can imagine a fistful of mustard seeds when they are dropped on a hard floor. They scatter in every direction and it is very difficult to control, gather them back again. That is the ship, the mind. There are many thoughts, many ideas in our mind, and we are unable to focus on any one of them. This is the classic restless mind. In this state, we are sorrowful, we are restless, we have worries and agony. That is the ship, the mind. The next one is called vikshipta mind. And this state occurs when sattva, sattva, the principle of peace and calmness is primary, although the other two, rajas and tamas, also play a role. Vikshipta means visheshana shipta. It, true, it also throws us, the mind does, but in one direction. It throws the mind, it absorbs the mind in a special way. Scientists at, in the laboratory 
students studying, businessmen busy with their work are examples of an active mind. The mind is active, though there is some agitation and restlessness too. And since sattva predominates this state of mind, there usually is happiness, contentment and forgiveness, qualities of love, steadiness and motivation. These are the qualities of a seeker and when concentration really begins. But the challenge in this state is that we cannot hold on to this state for long. Restlessness comes back again. So this is the vikshipta state. The next one, the yogis called ekagra or one pointed state. Here, sattva predominates. The other qualities of nature are just there in traces, but it is primarily sattva. This is the state of total concentration. I'll tell you a story which illustrates this point. The story is from the life of Shukadeva. Shukadeva, a great sage, was the son of Veda Vyasa. Sage Vyasa, we know, was the authority of all the scriptures. And Sukha was his son. Nonetheless, when it came to completing Shukha's education, Sage Vyasa asked him to go to Rajarshi Janak, a king, for completing his education. Rajarshi Janak is the father of Mother Sita from Ramayana. He was a king, but a realized sage as well. So Shukha traveled to the kingdom of Janaka and was ushered in to meet the king. And at that time, King Janaka was in a strange state, almost bare-bodied with little clothes on the body. He was being given an oil massage by beautiful young girls. There was laughter and gossip in the room. Shuka looked at the scene and was confused. He said, oh my God, I'm a brahmachari. I have come here to study. My father told me that Janaka was a befitting teacher, but he too seems to be busy with worldly pleasures. Janaka looked at Shuka and said, welcome. I'll give you one task first. And if you complete the task, then I will teach you. What was the task? Janaka asked for a bowl to be brought and asked Sukha to hold that bowl. Then he filled that bowl to the brim with oil, completely to the brim. And then he told Sukha, please carry this bowl around the palace and come back to me without spilling even a drop of oil. And as Shuka started on the task, he instructed his attendants that let there be lots of music, merriment and fun on the way, dancing, lots of distraction for Shuka. And Shuka started and there was lots of music and merriment and fun on the streets. After some time, Shuka came back to the palace, completing the task and not a single drop of oil was spilled. Janaka was happy. He looked at Sukha and said, you have completed the task. I am happy. But what did you see on the way? Did you see the dancers? Shukha said, no. Did you hear the music? He said, no, was there music? Janaka said, yes, there was lots of music, merrymaking and fun on the way. Did you not notice it? 
Shuka said, no. I was just looking at the oil, the bowl, and a little bit of the path. This, by the way, is the state of an ekagra mind, a mind which is trained to be in complete concentration. Lord Janaka was happy. The rest of the story that not relevant to the restless mind is still beautiful. He looked at Shuka and said, when you came in, you were unhappy with me. They were giving me an oil massage, but I was not here. Just as you, just as you when you were carrying that oil, were not really in the streets of the kingdom. So too, I was not here. Such a beautiful message. Nonetheless, the Ekagra state of mind is characterized by an effortless sense of concentration. Even athletes in this world sometimes refer to this as the zone where the concentration is effortless. The sport or the game seems just to flow without any involvement. You're just like a witness. This is an ekagra state of the mind. And the last state is called the niruddha or yogic mind. In this state, there are no gunas of nature influencing the mind. Or in other words, the mind transcends the play of maya, the play of the gunas. This is the state of yogic absorption. When all modifications, all thoughts in the mind are stopped. And what remains is just pure awareness. And in fact, yogis say that this is when you really realize who you really are. So these are the five states of the mind, Mudha, Shipta, Vikshipta, Ekagra, and Niruddha. And those amongst us who want to realize the full potential of the mind would want to know how to explore these five states. So with this context of the mind and how the, state, the qualities of nature of tamas, rajas, and sattva influence the mind into these states, we will go back to Lord Krishna's teaching to Arjuna. Remember, Lord Krishna said, by practice and detachment, you can control the mind. Now we can understand in essence what he meant by practice and detachment. If you take a look at the first three states of mind, mudha, shipta, and vikshipta, a particular quality of nature predominates, predominates in these states. Tamas is predominant in a mudha mind. Rajas for a shipta or a restless mind and sattva is primary for an vikshipta mind. So, and since all the three qualities of nature are always there together in different proportion, you can logically think that one way to get to a sattvic or a peaceful mind is to tone down tamas, tamas and rajas. So we can reduce tamas and we can reduce rajas then sattva naturally will shine forth. So that in an essence is what Lord Krishna is referring to. When he says by practice, he says reduce tamas by practice. 
Tamas is the principle of procrastination, of laziness, of doing nothing. And to get out of a tamasic state, you just need to do something, anything that'll get out, get you out of a tamasic state of mind. So that's what Lord Krishna says, that find a practice for controlling the mind, any practice. And that will get you out of a mudha, dull state of mind. Now, this is obvious, this is common sense. To be skillful, to be adept at any skill, we need to practice. And you may say, that's just common sense. Tell me something more. I, I sure will. But at this point, it's just fair to acknowledge or ask how many of us are really trying to practice the mind though? If this is so common sense and if this mind comes in our way, how many of us are even trying to spend any time in controlling the mind? Many on this call practice Kriya Yoga, which is an elegant and advanced technique for controlling the mind and many other things. But most people in the world, although they get try to get success in the world, and although mind comes in the way of absolute success, still do not have a technique or a practice for controlling the mind. So a practice will control, will help us get out of a mudha mind. The next is restless mind where rajas comes. Rajas, as we know, is the principle of desire, of passion. This comes when there are desires in our mind and we get drawn to those desires. So the only way to control a rajasic mind is to not be involved with our desires. This is what Lord Krishna says, that be detached from your desires. And then the restless rajasic mind will not bother you. We will come to what detachment means. So now you can understand that if we had a practice which would get rid of the tamasic state, and if we had a way to be detached from our thoughts, it'll reduce the rajasic state and naturally the sattvic state of mind will shine forth and this will get us on the path of controlling the mind. The other two states of, nirud, of ekagra and niruddha mind comes more from practice. In fact, Param Gurudev Baba Hariharanandaji used to say, practice, practice, practice. Practice makes you perfect. There is no alternative to sincere practice in controlling the mind. Remember, the mind is full of tendencies, impressions that we have gathered since birth. In fact, if you believe in reincarnation, then the mind has tendencies from all previous birth. In some birth, we may be a snake. And even today, we have the slyness of a snake in our mind. We might have been a tiger, and there is the ferocity of a tiger latent in our mind still. And a practice like Kriya Yoga not only helps us control the mind by controlling the thoughts, but actually purifies these impressions in the mind. We will not go into that aspect in this particular talk, but it is just important to point out that an advanced practice and also the grace of the masters and God is necessary to experience the higher states of mind, ekagra, and particularly the niruddha state of mind. 
So with this, we will go back to the word detachment and try to understand a little bit more about how is it that we can be detached from our restless thoughts. One more concept about the mind. A mind is also defined as vritti pravaha manaha. The mind is a flow of thoughts. Literally, the mind is nothing but one thought after the other. And the thoughts flow at such a rate that most of us are unaware that there are multiple thoughts in the mind. It is just like a flowing endless river, one thought after the other. And where do these thoughts come from? They come from our own life experiences. They come from our own desires. For example, we might be feeling hungry and the thoughts go, oh, I'm feeling hungry. Hmm, I wonder what's in the pantry. Is there a cookie there? Maybe I should go and eat a cookie. But wait, a cookie has so many calories. Maybe a banana would be better instead. You see, endless thoughts, one after the other. This is what makes our mind. Once again, the rishis who understood and researched so much about mind and thoughts found out that each thought has three characteristics. They term these characteristics prakya, pravritti, and sthitishila. Prakya is illumination, pravritti is involvement, and sthitishila is apparent establishment. The idea here is that when a thought comes, at some point we become aware of it. The thought appears in our consciousness. It lights up in our consciousness. That is prakya. That is that feeling suddenly that, oh, I'm hungry. That thought has arisen in our consciousness. And then the thought tries to propel us, tries to compel us to do something that maybe I should eat. This is pravritti. Every thought will try to force us to do something. And each thought stays for only some time. A thought never stays forever. It will go on its own if we do not get involved with it. So this idea of prakya, pravritti, and sthitishila gives us the idea of how to be detached from our thoughts. If we could just be aware of the thoughts and we could just not involve ourselves when, them, when they are trying to compel us to do something, then the thought will go away on its own. So the idea of detachment is just to be a witness of the thoughts. But this is difficult because of our habitual way of living. I'll give you an example of what a witness is and what the challenges are. Imagine that you, you're seeing a couple of your friends quarrel in front of you. You're just there, you're just seeing. You saw how they came together, how the conversation started how the conversation escalated into a conflict and a quarrel. You're just being a witness at that point. But pretty soon, maybe you step forward and ask them, hey, what's going on between you two? After all, they are your friends. Now you are no longer a witness. You are a mediator. You're asking what's going on. And then perhaps at some point you say that, look, 
uh, he is right. You have really misunderstood him. Don't get angry. At this point, you have become a judge. And this is our predicament. We seldom are able to stay a witness to our mind. We get involved as a mediator or worse still as a judge. Imagine you're having a meal at a friend's place and you take the first bite of food and you realize there is no salt. Immediately, we tend to react. And this is what being a mediator or a judge is. You could potentially just be a witness and say, okay, it's just a meal. I'll continue to eat. Or maybe even choose a more appropriate response than perhaps hurting the host with your comments. So this is the challenge of being a witness, but nonetheless, the key to controlling a restless mind, a key to not be overwhelmed by the thoughts is to just be a witness. And that is really how to be detached. And the best way to just be a witness is to anchor yourself on your breath. Just be aware of the breath as you take in the breath and the breath goes out again, you take in the next one. A simple technique of just being aware. There's nothing to think about. The breath is constantly there with you. So this idea of if you can just practice watching the breath, then together with that, you will see your thoughts rise, try to force you to do something and dissipate again and you can stay anchored as a witness. So this is the state of detachment. I'll just also add here, when Krishna said practice and detachment, he did not include detachment as part of the practice. You could argue that detachment too is a practice. But a deeper concept here, one we will not go into right now, is that, and I'll leave it for your contemplation, that our actual state is one of detachment. It is that we have always practiced in being attached and that is the issue. So just letting go and being natural is the state of detachment. Nonetheless, this is what Lord Krishna was referring to as our, to Arjuna and which in the simplest, in the most practical way is the way to get to control a, a restless mind is to have a practice and to be detached and be a witness of your thoughts. And when you do this, imagine somebody says something rude to you. And instead of reacting right away, as we always do, you would see, you would witness anger rising in your mind. And from that position of being a witness, you can choose a different response. You can choose to just be a witness or a more appropriate response that doesn't overpower yourself and make you unhappy. This is the trick for controlling a restless mind. At the beginning of the talk, I talked of Swami Vivekananda and Dalai Lama, spiritual stalwarts and their position on mind. As I finish this talk, I will share another quote, and this time from the corporate world. I'm referring to Stephen Covey, a teacher, a corporator, uh, whose book, The Seven Habits of Highly 
effective people was declared to be the best business book for the 20th century and is considered to be one of the top 10 management books of all times. This book was written in 1989. It is interesting. I joined Microsoft in the year 1988 and was deeply influenced by Covey's, Covey's thoughts. They resonated with me with so much. And I can say that in my 30 years in Microsoft, my leadership, whatever I could achieve, was anchored on these principles. Covey also talks about the benefit and the need for controlling the mind for any kind of success in the material world. When we witness our thoughts, when we just, when we try to not get involved, magically, the amount of thoughts reduces. And this flow, one thought, and the next one, a gap opens up there. When, when there is a stimulus and we respond, there is a gap between the stimulus and the response. And Covey famously talks about this in his book. I'll share this quote with you. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. I will just recap briefly what we talked about. Our mind is our greatest gift, but our mind can also be our greatest enemy to be successful in any endeavor. Everyone should learn to control the mind. The mind can be in five states, dull, restless, active, one-pointed, or in yogic absorption. And some of these states totally control, overpower, overwhelm us. The mind can be controlled by practice and detachment. It after all is a flow of thoughts each thoughts arise, they compel us to do something and dissipates on its own. A simple technique then to control the restless mind is to just be anchored in the breath, to just witness the thoughts and not be involved with them. This practice is not so easy. We will get drawn into the thoughts, but whenever we realize that we are being overwhelmed again, we have the breath with us. Our awareness is always there. We can pull back our awareness on the breath. Thank you for listening. That was the talk on restless mind. We still have some time and we will practice a short session of guided meditation where we will explore some of the concepts that we have just talked about. Just be comfortable where you are. And calmly close the eyes. Take a moment to be aware of your body. Totally relaxed. Keep the spine, the back straight if you can. Take a quick stock 
of how you feel in your mind. Just a simple awareness. Is the mind feeling lethargic? Or maybe active thoughts in the mind? Or perhaps there's a sense of calmness and peace. Just being aware of the mind. Maybe you notice different thoughts come up in your mind as well. But just for a few minutes, we will try not to get involved with the thoughts. Just a few minutes anyway, you can tend to your tasks, important matters after that. Bring the attention awareness now to the breath. See how the breath, the air comes into the nostrils, comes out of the nostrils. Not forcing the breath. The body breathes when it needs to. Effortless. Air coming in and going out. Be aware of every single breath. The mind may get distracted by thoughts. You may lose awareness of the breath. But when you do, just bring the awareness back to the breath. Watch the breath and just listen to the instructions. The breath is so special. Ayur Vayuhu, breath is our life. Balam Vayuhu, breath is indeed our strength. Vayu Dhata Sharirinaha, the breath sustains our body. Vayu sarvam idam vishwam. Breath is everything in this world. Vayuhu pratyaksha devata. The rishis say, breath indeed is the physical manifestation of divinity. Just to watch the breath. As you watch the breath, 
maybe you notice a little bit of calmness in the mind. Now take a slow, long and deep inhalation. Filling your lungs to the full capacity. Hold the breath and gently bend forward if you can in your place. And exhale. Back to normal breathing again. Your head is a little down. You're still observing the breath. The act of getting the head down is a simple act of humility. Just bowing to divinity bowing to nature. Nature is always influencing our minds with tamas, rajas, and sattva. To humbly pray to the force of nature Let us have an understanding heart, love and compassion in our lives. Let our minds be peaceful. Calmly watch the breath. Maybe you feel some heaviness in the head as oxygenated blood, prana, flows more into the head. Keep all the attention in the area of the forehead, watching the breath calmly. In that position, now take a deep, long inhalation again. Hold the breath, gently sit back up and exhale. Back to normal, effortless, conscious breathing again. Aware of the calmness in the mind. Now we will practice deep breathing for a while. Deep inhalation, deep exhalation, completely filling your lungs and completely emptying them. Take a slow, long, deep inhalation. And a slow, long, deep exhalation. Inhale slow, long and deep. 
Exhale, slow, long, deep. Inhale, peace. Feel, feel peace enveloping yourself. Exhale, love. Inhale, peace. Every cell of your body. Exhale, love. Purifying every cell of your body. Inhale, peace. Exhale, love. Inhale, love. Exhale, peace. Inhale, love. Exhale, peace. Aware of every breath. Inhale, peace. Exhale, love. Inhale, deep, slow, long. Exhale, slow, long and deep, complete exhalation. Inhale, peace. Exhale, love. Back to normal breathing again. Bring all your attention to the forehead area. Going deep inside the brain. The body is still. Notice how feeble the breath gets. Calmness within. Maybe less thoughts in the mind. Now drop all practice. Just that awareness within. Consciousness. No thought, nothing to watch. Silent, deep absorption. Just merge into that silence. Try.
Slowly bring the attention back to the breath. Back to body consciousness, breath consciousness. With practice, you can still have a little attention on the breath even when you're actively involved in a task. Awareness of the breath will help you not be involved with thoughts that are not important to you. To master them and not be overpowered by them. Any calmness that you feel within is the result of your own meditation and the peace which comes when the mind does not obscure it. With a peaceful mind, praying for the well-being of all. Sarve bhavantu sukhinaha Sarve santu niramaya Sarve bhadrani pashyantu Ma kaschit dukha bhag bhavet May all be happy. May all be healthy. May all see what is auspicious. May there not be any suffering. Om Purnamadaha Purnamidam Purnat Purnamodachate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishate Om Shanti 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 God is complete and perfect. The creation is complete and perfect. We too are complete and perfect. Through our practice, through the grace of the divine, may we realize the perfectness within us. May there be peace. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. I hope the session was useful for you. I bow to all of you. Jai Guru, Jai Jagannath.